You know I could not let the coronation go by without having a few words about what happened, the drama, and everything surrounding how Prince Charles became the king and how his side chick, Camilla, became the queen. This scenario here was about as dramatic as it can get. I mean, literally get your popcorn ready for this mess because although it was surrounded by a lot of really amazing, once in a lifetime, luxurious surroundings, at the end of the day, this thing here was a soap opera wrapped up in a crown and jewels. Anyone who has any familiarity with King Charles, Camilla, their history with Diana, really understand that this whole situation was a long time in the making. So before I talk about the coronation itself, I have to talk about a few things that led up to the coronation that had a significant impact. So first, Queen Elizabeth died not eight months prior to this coronation. Even though King Charles kind of took over as the head honcho after she passed, you know, it's really been less than a year. So it's been a little crazy because she died last year, the year before Prince Philip died. So there's been a lot of sadness. This event is supposed to be a very celebratory time as the UK and the rest of the Commonwealth prepare for this new leader. Now let's keep in mind you know, King Charles is like 70 something. So you can only imagine, you know, he's been told his whole life that he's like the heir to the throne. And I'm sure he's like, okay, so when is this gonna happen? Because, oh, Elizabeth wasn't trying to give up her throne anytime soon. And I have no doubt, had she continued living until 100, she probably still would have retained that crown because she was like, um, yeah, I think I can do it better than you, even in my 90s. <laughs> Can you imagine if you were in the line of succession to like your parents' company and they were willing to roll around in a wheelchair and a walker and get people to carry them and take naps throughout the day all because they don't think you're ready to lead? That's some next level stuff. So I find it really interesting that basically Prince Charles had to wait his entire life in order to step onto the throne. I'm sure he had no idea that Elizabeth would last that long in age and years. But I also thought that, and I'm sure many of us thought this too, that once she probably got into her 70s and maybe early 80s, she would have said, okay, I've kind of run the race. I've finished what I want to accomplish. Let me go ahead and hand it over to my son and I'll be kind of an advisor to him during this time. And I'm sure he was like, when is that going to happen? And then I, I wonder when the realization was for him when he was like, this is not going to happen until she dies. Holy smokes, I am stuck doing whatever Prince things I do until this woman decides that she's ready to move on to the next plane. Hopefully heaven, but what do we know? So you have all that lingering in front of the coronation and then post her passing in 2022. The other thing that's lingering is Harry and Meghan. Harry just released his book, Spare, in the January timeframe. So there was a lot of references to his dad, Prince Charles, related to um, how he grew up, how he handled his mother's death, how Charles met and continued to build his relationship with Camilla, 
However, there were a few comments about Camilla. She was very much a person who had a reputation that needed to be rebuilt and was willing to sacrifice anybody in order to do it. There's a lot of memes out there and they will continue (laughs) related to her and her relationship with him, how she broke up like the most famous marriage in the world, how she ended up marrying this guy. And now she's about to become the queen of England. Everyone feels some kind of way about this because you're like, um, so the mistress does eventually make it to queen. So if there's hope for her, there's probably hope for other people out there that are in similar situations. (laughs) The funniest meme that I've seen so far is a picture of her that says, just believe, (laughs) which essentially means you, you never know, you know, you might be doing something that's dastardly, but sometimes things work out in the end. And then on top of all of this, you've got a lot of protests that are happening in some of the Commonwealth. You've got folks who are saying that Charles is not their king. And a lot of this is born out of the need to abolish the monarchy. Countries and some individuals are feeling like, hey, we've been under the reign of the English monarchy for too long. It's time for us to do our our own thing. And so there's been some protests that have been happening across different geographies. And then even more so, this is how dramatic this stuff is. Back to Harry and Meghan, there's this big question surrounding, will they, won't they attend the coronation? Now, you know, Harry wrote this book. There's a lot of haters out there that felt like he was just spilling the tea on all these secrets. And, you know, and Harry's like, look, y'all have been spilling the tea on me for years. And most of it is untrue. So now you're getting mad at me because I tell my own story in my own words, you know, whatever. Megan has completely been under the radar since last year. Like we literally hadn't really seen her. We've seen a couple of shots of her going to dinner with Harry and friends. But outside of that, she hadn't made any appearances. She hadn't done any special, you know, award shows between January and the coronation timeframe. So it was, it's been pretty quiet on their front. But of course, the UK media loves to bring them into the storyline because they know it sells paper. So the question over the last few months prior to the coronation was, are these two going to attend? The other side story here is that the coronation was actually scheduled on Prince Archie's birthday, which is May 6th. So hmm, people think that was a slight shade to Harry and Meghan and also would kind of force Harry to make a decision between his family, his, the family that he grew up with, and then his current family. Everyone thought it was a little little strange that of all the Saturdays that King Charles could have picked to schedule his little coronation, he had to choose Archie's birthday. If Meghan attends this shenanigan, that is all the papers are gonna focus on. And my personal view was, I thought both of them should not attend. But then when I took a moment to think about it, I was like, okay, technically that's Harry's dad. He probably has some royal obligation to at least make an appearance. So best case scenario, Megan stays at home and Harry goes. And lo and behold, that's what ends up happening. And I think that was the best scenario for everyone just because of Megan's star power, because of her popularity, but then also polarization. I just think it probably would have been a recipe for disaster to where all the attention would have been on her instead of on the king. I think she made the right decision. She's a smart lady. 
she knows what's best for her family. And quite honestly, she probably had the best seat in the house. She was probably kicked back watching the ceremony with her girlfriends, eating popcorn or avocado, whatever people in California eat, and probably pausing throughout the ceremony, making comments about people that she used to live with or next door to. So that sounds like a better time than actually being in a church on a Saturday, watching people wearing costumes and parading around in jewels that they borrowed for the day. So that is like the entire setup in the background before you even get to the coronation. And I think that the pre-drama to the actual drama was actually what drove a lot of the audience for this event because everyone not only just wanted to see the guy get the crown and see all the pomp and circumstance around it, but I do think when you're trying to figure out what's the next step for the monarchy, what kind of support they're going to get going forward. This was this perfect scenario to suss that out. So let's talk about this coronation. If you take a step back and just reflect on the entire experience, it's definitely a cross between like medieval times, Game of Thrones, with a little bit of Cinderella peppered into this. At the end of the day, King Charles, who was already king technically, because the title automatically went to him once his mother died, This was just officially the ceremony to solidify in the face of God and the people that he is truly king. I respect that you have to go through the ceremony. Not unlike the inauguration of the president for the U.S., they have their own ceremony for the monarchy that really kind of is the official passing of the torch to the next generation. Now, when I said that this thing reminds me of Cinderella, There is a carriage involved in this coronation. Camilla and Charles rode a freaking golden carriage from their starting point to Westminster Abbey. And, you know, it's 2023 and we're driving like Teslas and scooters and hybrid efficient cars. These two are rolling through the streets of London in a freaking gold carriage that weighs like multiple tons, according to the reports. So I understand that that's their tradition, but it's a little odd in the century that we're currently living in. But, you know, to each his own. So they ride their little carriage with all the horses. They're surrounded by all these military personnel, which I will say they know how to do ceremonies. They had those military personnel lined up to perfection. They had the horses ready to go. The costumes and the uniforms looked amazing. So they really know how to put on a show. So they showed out even in the middle of rain. Now, there were a few horses during that procession that decided to get a little, you know how it is when you invite family members to a party and they just don't act right. This is how these horses were acting. But they stayed fairly under control and escorted them all the way to the church. Now, what was kind of funny is when they arrived at the church, they had to wait for a little bit. It was a little unclear as to why they had to wait. There were some rumors that William and Kate were running late or, you know, perhaps some things weren't set up to facilitate their entrance into the church. But regardless, they made it in one piece. They were wearing their royal robes, which again, flashback to Cinderella, Game of Thrones. A little ridiculous in this point in time, but... If it's part of the ceremony dress, so be it. And then they make their entrance into the church. At this point in time, all the attendees are already there. They're seated. We see other members of the royal family, including Prince Harry. 
We see Queen Anne, who is essentially Charles's backup uh, in case anything happens. She's got this military style hat with a plume coming out of the top, which looked pretty interesting. Again, a little old fashioned, but you know, I'm not British, so we'll just leave it as it is. You also see that there are multiple individuals from various Commonwealth countries, heads of state, even from the United States. We had Jill Biden, who was the first lady. Joe Biden didn't attend, which there was some speculation about that, but it was actually fairly normal. No president has ever attended a coronation. And quite frankly, I mean, seriously, it would be actually kind of odd for a U.S. president to come back to the U.K. and celebrate the monarchy when we kind of divorced you like many years ago. But we paid our homage by sending the first lady, so that should be enough. And then there wasn't really a lot of celebrities. I know the guest list was very selective. Really what we saw was some of the famous heads of state from different countries that we recognize. And then we've seen these one-off celebrities like Katy Perry. If Katy Perry is all we have to offer from the U.S. and the first lady, you know, that kind of tells you how we felt about this whole experience. But at any rate, everyone was in, they were seated. Charles and Camilla walks down the aisle, they get seated, and then the procession starts. What's interesting is that if you were wondering what the coronation was going to be about, it's essentially a religious ceremony. So it's like going to church for two hours, for those of you who can stand doing that in that type of environment. What was kind of interesting is everybody, of course, is dressed to their nines. All the ladies are wearing their hats. All the men are wearing their formal suits. All the priests and the archbishops are wearing their royal robes and their priestly attire. So it was very, very formal across the board. So I'm not going to take you through the whole ceremony, but I am going to call out a few things that I thought were was either really interesting or just kind of hilarious. So first, I want to mention that as Charles is going through his ceremony, he is asked to essentially pray over or bless different historical artifacts that most you know leaders of the UK have some level of ownership or responsibility for. So this dude was like touching and blessing like a whole bunch of old stuff, including like a ring, like a Bible, an orb, these swords. So it was a little weird to seeing him being presented with all these artifacts, but I guess that's part of the process (laughs) that you have to um, go through and basically said that, hey, you know, because I'm the king, because I'm the leader, I'm responsible for taking ownership and pledging or taking responsibility for these these old things that have been in the, the family or within the fold of the monarchy for years and years. One of these I do have to point out is this like white glove that he put on his right hand. And immediately, as soon as he put it on, what popped in my head was Michael Jackson. (laughs) And I don't even know why. It doesn't look like a Michael Jackson glove, but it was just like one glove on one hand that he had to wear for a while. It was a little odd. And I was like, okay, is this necessary? Could this have been something that we could have saved for another time? But, you know, you go ahead and wear your Michael Jackson glove. One person that I was really interested in was the woman who was wearing a blue outfit Um, a really pretty blue-like crown with some gold leafing on it. And she was essentially preceding him every time Charles got up to do something. She walked in front of him. She was carrying a sword. She had a very large sword in the beginning and then had a lighter sword towards the end. Man, I admired this woman because she looked very lovely in her outfit, but it automatically reminded me of the show The Handmaid's Tale because that was the color in essentially a patterned outfit that the wives wore 
in Handmaid's Tale. So, and it was a symbol of a bit of subserviency. I thought it was kind of funny because she had to precede him everywhere and was kind of serving as his protector. The other thing that I thought was interesting is, you know, the the sword that she held in the beginning was actually very heavy. And they had to give her a little holster that she wore around her neck to carry the sword and rest it when she needed to. Luckily, the second sword she got later in the ceremony was lighter. When she did an interview after this particular event, she mentioned that she took some pain kills prior to the ceremony because she knew it was going to be a little rough. Her name was uh, Peggy. And it turns out that she's a British cabinet minister. So she's actually a smart woman. She's in politics, but somehow she got relegated to carrying a sword around in front of Charles. That's probably not an assignment I would have signed up for, but you know, God bless her. People were complimenting her and her ability to hold that sword the entire time. So that is something she can just add to her resume going forward. Royal sword bearer. One interesting part of the ceremony is that Charles had to go through an exercise to where he is anointed with oil and he has to do it behind the secret sea of basically a curtain. So they had to bring out these partitions to uh, hide him because my assumption is it's between him and God. Everyone can't see what he's doing. And then they took it back when he was done. So ultimately, Charles gets crowned with this massive crown that has all these jewels on that. And I'm sure there's a lot of backstory around some of those jewels. It gets placed on his head. They end up having the audience chants essentially like a pledge to the king as the new leader of the monarchy. What was actually kind of funny is the week prior to the coronation, there was this uh, somewhat of an announcement and an invitation that went out through all the papers that basically said, join us in pledging allegiance essentially to the king. And there's like a huge backlash because everyone's like, one, why are you asking me that? And then two, I ain't pledging allegiance to anybody. So it was a little weird in the context of the church. It makes a little more sense because you're kind of saying, you know, basically held to the chief. But when you're making that request through the media, that's just super strange. So that did backfire, but they ended up doing it anyway during the service because I'm assuming that's required as a part of the ceremony. You also see Prince William do a bit of a pledge to the king as well, kind of kissing the ring, so to speak. He and his wife and the three kids were involved in the ceremony. One of the kids was responsible for helping King Charles with his robe and carrying it throughout. The other two were actually in the audience. They were well represented because clearly they are in the line of secession in case anything happens in the future. So it was kind of nice to see Prince William kind of say, you know, congratulations, dad, in formal terms. And then it did look like Charles got a little misty eyed when he did that, but it was hard to tell with him. What's interesting when you're watching just the whole ceremony Charles does look very frail, by the way. He is given a variety of things to hold throughout the ceremony, including like the orb and the scepters and sword and different things like that. But when you watch him throughout, he does look like he has trouble like holding things for long periods of time. He needed help standing. Now, granted, he was wearing a lot of clothes, so I'm sure they weighted him down. And my understanding is the crown was fairly heavy as well. But just seeing him walk through the church seeing him say his vows and the different things that he has to verbally confirm and then just him sitting there. It did kind of appear that this guy was not on the best of terms with his health. Now, I'm not saying that the guy is sick or anything, but he did look frail, which is a little concerning given his age and, you know, 
going back to what I said earlier, how long he's been waiting to sit on the throne. When I saw that, I was actually a little sad for him because I was like, man, just imagine if you were still in your 50s or even your 40s and kind of going through this process, it probably would have felt different than what it feels like now. The other thing I'll give a shout out to um, before I switch over to Camilla is that the Archbishop of Canterbury was the guy that facilitated essentially the whole ceremony. We've seen him before in different types of events and different ceremonies. I think he was also involved in the Queen's funeral. He had a lot of stuff he had to recite. They actually had cue cards for him and a script for him for various parts of the ceremony. He had a lot to say and a lot to do. So I'll give him props for that because he made it through that whole ceremony with pretty much without a hitch. The other thing I just thought was funny is when they flashed his name up on the screen, his name is actually Justin. And when you think about like an archbishop or a clergyman within the church, you kind of immediately, your mind goes to like biblical names like John and Mark and David, maybe a Luke thrown in there from time to time, but definitely not a Justin. So I laughed a little bit when I saw his name flashed up because I'm like, well, look at Justin facilitating the ceremony for King Charles. Whereas, you know, when you hear the word Justin, you kind of think more of a guy that's in California probably surfing on a beach, but I guess you can't let your name define you, create your own path. So kudos to you, Justin, the Archbishop of Canterbury. Now let's talk about Camilla. Oh, Camilla, the whole day made you reflect a lot on Diana. And I'll say that because had she remained married to Charles, obviously she would be the one that's in this position. She died very young. She was 36 when she was killed. So we have no visual representation of her aging. She's timeless in our minds. And when we see Camilla getting crowned, you're also kind of imagining, man, what if Diana had the opportunity to be crowned? Like how much more would people love her and support her because of just not only her beauty, but just her her commitment to the community, her commitment to really important causes, and her love for her children. So you would be remiss not to think about her during this time. But our girl Camilla, she made it, she climbed that ladder, and she is now sitting on the throne. Couple things about her. So one, I don't want to talk about her in a negative light, because that would just be really mean and rude. She's never been a really attractive individual. She's not one that when you look at her, you're like, ah, she's beautiful. You're just kind of like, hmm, Camilla. (laughs) So with her, with all this, this dress and the robe, it didn't really flatter her, in my opinion, at all. On top of that, she looked really stiff. And I don't know if she was just nervous or she was just trying to make sure that she didn't mess up. But she looked pretty stiff, like walking down the aisle when she was sitting in the chair It was a little odd just to see her in that position. But, you know, hey, girl, this is what you wanted for years and years. So you guess you just got to suck it up. What I did respect is that the crowning of Camilla was short and sweet. I think if they would have drawn that out, I think we all would have been pissed. What was really funny, though, is when the Archbishop of Canterbury put that crown on her head, he kind of like dropped it on her. (laughs) Like it wasn't like this careful positioning like he did with Charles. He actually kind of dropped the hat on her head and she had to kind of fix her hair to make sure like her hair wasn't in her eyes or what have you. So that part was kind of funny to me. 
And then also when she was being crowned, she kind of had this really weird smirk on her face. And if you go back and look at all of her pictures, this woman does not know how to smile. You know how there's some people in your life where you're just like, please don't smile. Just be, just be very neutral. Because when you take a picture of them, they always look like they're either sulking or smirking. She's one of those individuals where it doesn't seem like she can craft her, her mouth into like a realistic smile. When you see her throughout this ceremony, it just looks like she's smirking through the whole thing, which of course translates for people who know her story into, haha, I finally made it. <laughs> and like she's doing like some kind of cackling behind the scenes. Now I know she's probably a really nice woman. I'm sure she's well-respected in her circles, but she she's one that just doesn't inspire a lot of confidence. Not only that, she had like a couple of ladies in waiting that were around her. They all looked the same. Like I have never seen a situation where you are surrounded by like two of your twins. Y'all all look the same age. You have the same hair. You're technically wearing the same thing because they were all wearing white. So when you saw a, a view of them that wasn't directly in their faces, you actually couldn't really tell them apart. So I thought it was really weird how similar her ladies in waiting were to her. I'm assuming they were like her best friends or her sisters or something. But that whole scenario was was a little odd to me. But again, I was glad that it was over quickly and they just moved on. And then essentially they had the congregation repeat a few chants. There was a lot of music throughout the ceremonies. Several choirs sung hymns or special songs that were written for the ceremony. There was this really awesome black choir that sang a hymn, had a little more jive to it. Um, they were all wearing white. It was really beautifully done. And so when they were finished with their performance, like, you know, you wanted to clap and be like, man, that was amazing. You guys did great, especially given that, you know, the audience was pretty homogeneous given where they were sitting, but like not a person clapped. It didn't even look like someone was smiling. If you kind of look at them while they're singing and look at the crowd that's behind them, I encourage you to go back and do that if you have this recorded or if you go to YouTube, you'll actually see there's some looks of people behind them saying like, what is this? Again, lack of appreciation for a solid, talented black choir. But what do you expect in a church of that type of history and performance where everything has to be very somber and serious? Because of course, we're celebrating the coronation of the king. So the ceremony concludes with Camilla and the king walking out of the church. As they're walking out in their robes and their crowns, you have people that are bowing to them and showing them respect. So you see some curtsies as well as they're walking out. There were a few individuals that it looked like they were not trying to curtsy or bow to Camilla. And I don't blame them because, you know, it's like, hmm, there's there's a little history there, right? Of like, hmm, we know how you got here and we don't exactly respect that process. But you know what? I bet King Charles was over the moon because rumor has it, and it's been stated in a lot of different history books and texts, that one of his main objectives was to make Camilla his queen, and he was able to do that through that ceremony. They end up climbing back into the carriage. They had a little bit of trouble, because when it's raining, they're wearing all these robes, they've got the whole crown thing on their head. So that whole thing looked a little uncomfortable and could have been a debacle, but they made it work. And then they headed back to Buckingham Palace, where essentially, the police let the crowds crowd into the circular drive of the palace so that the family could come in after the ceremony 
walk out to the balcony and wave to the crowd, which is what they did with the senior members of the royal family and um, others who were uh, heavy participants in the coronation. Another thing I'll mention that was touched on a little bit in some of the commentary from the media is that Camilla actually had a significant number of family members that were attending the event, including her ex-husband. Now, I'm just going to let you reflect on that a second. So this is a man whose wife had a very public affair with the Prince of England and continued to do so even after it was exposed, ultimately divorced him, and then eventually married the Prince of England. So this guy has been around scandal for a very, very long time. And for him to show up and attend the marriage of his ex-wife to the man that stole her from him, that's pretty brave and ballsy to be able to show up to that with your head held high. And I'm assuming he's saying to himself, I'm just going to let bygones be bygones because there's nothing else I can do. And apparently doesn't really care much for his reputation. Now, granted, his kids were there and a part of kind of the broader family structure to support her. So no doubt he's probably like, well, if my kids are going to be there, I kind of have to be there as well. If I were in his shoes, I definitely would have turned that invitation down. I do not need that kind of publicity or a reminder of how my ex-wife got to where she is today. I just think that's, again, drama and more drama beneath an umbrella of drama. (laughs) There was a lot of speculation around Prince Harry as far as how much of the coronation events that he was going to attend They had a huge lunch after the coronation where they expected basically the family members and invited guests to participate. Apparently, Harry never RSVP'd for that lunch. Come to find out that as soon as that coronation ceremony was completed, Harry went straight to the airport and flew back to California. And part of it was he wanted to be with his son for his birthday and Quite honestly, he was probably not even interested in any more of the pomp and circumstance that was the royal family and their celebrations. And I might argue that he didn't want to be in the headlines as a part of that event and take away from anything that his dad uh, was trying to accomplish during that time frame. Kudos to him because I probably would have done the same thing. It's like I did what I was supposed to do. I supported my dad. I minimized any drama, and then I got the heck up out of there. So good for him on that. Overall, I think the coronation was as boring as hell, but it was pretty interesting just because it's not something that we get to see very often. When you look at all the money that was probably invested in getting this done and the desire to really give the British people something to celebrate, you know, I'll give them props for that. I also understand that this is one of those once in a lifetime events that puts the royal family kind of in the forefront of the world and just re-communicates that this is who we are, this is what we're about, and we're not going to go anywhere anytime soon. There were some pictures that were distributed after the event that was uh, pretty revealing. It was pictures of the senior members of the royal family and essentially Charles and Camilla's entourage for the coronation. And let's just say for a monarchy that supports diversity and inclusion 
and represents the commonwealth that is 70% diverse. Those pictures were not representative. So I think it's kind of interesting, not only from a diversity perspective, but also from an age perspective. I don't think there was hardly anyone in those pictures besides the children and William and Kate that were under 50 years old. So that kind of tells you there might be a problem with the future of the monarchy and the secession planning that they need to think about. And there might be some merit to what uh, Megan claimed for this family that perhaps even though they claim diversity is at the forefront, it's not something that they actually practice. So more to come. We'll see how that plays out. So I hope you enjoyed my summary of the coronation. I thought it was an interesting watch and I look forward to hearing and seeing what else comes out of this dramatic family. I have no doubt we'll see more drama around the corner. So I'll be there to watch and I hope you will be too. Until next time.